up your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number one. James chapter number one. And I hope the music has prepared your heart this morning to receive what God would have us to receive from the study now of his word. And, uh, and I say it every week, but it's just, it's, it's always a blessing to be in God's house. It's a blessing to be able to be uh, in his word. And, uh, and this morning is no different. Uh, and I hope you're ready to learn and to grow. And this morning, we're actually starting a brand new series uh, entitled Genuine Christianity, all right? Uh, Genuine Christianity, and we're going to be studying the book of James, okay? Verse by verse, we're going to go through it, uh, all four chapters, well, five chapters, I guess, of James, and uh, we're going to be learning uh, what genuine Christianity is all about. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, open to James chapter number one and verse number one. Now, as I was walking in this morning, I was so excited uh, to see uh, Mrs. Moreno, Mrs. Teresa Moreno. I hadn't seen her in quite a few years, but she taught at the school I graduated from there in Tampa, Florida. And, uh, and she was so encouraging to me this morning. Uh, she said, now, pastor, you know, we're really tired. It's been a long weekend. Let's keep it short this morning. And I said, all right, I'll keep it short. I'll keep it to one verse. And so she didn't know I was only going to preach one verse this morning. But uh, if you've been uh, coming long enough, you know, if I preach one verse, it doesn't matter. I could go 45 minutes, 10 hour, just on one verse, but I'm trying not to. And, uh, and my wife always tells me, don't say you're going to go short. You never go short when you say you're going to go short. So I'm going to let you know, I'm going to go short today. And I mean it. I really mean it. I'm going to stay within uh, the, uh, the 30-minute mark, okay? And uh, there you go. And uh, once we can get through this 30-minute mark, I'm telling you, I'll stop. Even if I'm not done with the mess, I'll just stop. We'll just bow our heads. We'll pray and we'll get out of here, okay? Uh, but no, I hope you're excited about studying God's Word. Book of James, James chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Let's pray, and as we jump into this passage, we we'll ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and grow us this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. And this morning, as we study this topic of genuine Christianity, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me first and foremost. Father, what I preach this morning would not be my own ideas, but Father, what your inspired word teaches and says. I pray that I would be able to communicate the message that you have laid on my heart, that I might communicate it fully, that I might communicate it clearly, and that Father, we all might be edified and challenged and exhorted by your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill the hearts of each and every one of us, that as we hear your words, we can not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, highlight uh, things in our lives that perhaps need to change, where we need to become more genuine in our life and in our Christianity and our walk with you. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would speak to us and lead us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps the most sought-after trait or characteristic in anything is genuineness, right? I think all of us want to be genuine. I think all of us want 
uh, to possess things that are genuine. In other words, the word genuine uh, literally means, if you look it up on Google, it means truly what something is said to be or authentic. When something is authentic, when something is genuine, it has greater value. Right? Have you, have you found this to be true in your life? Because I found it to be true in my life. Anything that's authentic or genuine has added value to it. Um, on um, on, on uh, Easter, they, they have all these kinds of eggs, and you can have a golden egg in Easter, right? But uh, if it's a plastic, spray-painted gold egg, its value is probably, you know, 10 cents or so. But if you have a 24-carat gold egg, its value is a little bit more than 10 cents, right? Uh, the real thing is always more valuable than something that is fake. A genuine leather Bible is much more expensive than a full leather Bible or a fake leather Bible, right? You can, you can get a, a fake leather Bible probably for $5, but a genuine leather Bible is going to cost you a whole lot more. That aspect of being genuine or authentic brings up the value. It costs more. But then you also find that with uh, genuineness, it brings a lot of durability too. I remember the first time I went to uh, the Philippines, it was back in 2010. It's been the only time I've been over there to visit, but they have a marketplace that's pretty famous there in the city of Manila. It's, it's a really big marketplace and uh, you can go there and because most of what we buy comes from the eastern side of our world. Uh, you can go into this marketplace and you can find purses that are like Louis Vuitton. All right. Now, if you don't know what a Louis Vuitton purse is, God bless you. I, I am so happy for you. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad that I'm having to break this news because maybe your wife will look it up and you'll find that Louis Vuitton purses are usually like $1,500, okay? And depending on the size, it can be, you can get one like this small, like it's like a pocketbook and it's like $900. It's ridiculous, right? But you can go to that marketplace there in Manila, get the same little uh, pocketbook, has the L and the V. I mean, it has the same colors. It looks just like a Louis Vuitton purse or pocketbook. You get it for like 25 bucks. I mean, it's amazing. It's awesome how you can find that at that marketplace. But if you've ever bought one for $25 and bought the one that's $900, you'll find that the $900 one lasts you a whole lot longer. That $25 one, even though it looks nice, even though it has the logo and everything, the colors, you'll find if you use it after about six months, the, thing, the, the, the threading there starts falling apart and you'll find that the leather is not really real leather and it starts, you know, slowly but surely fading off. And, and there's just something about something genuine and authentic that is durable. That's why you pay more money for something that's authentic and something that's not. Now, usually when I'm holding this little plastic uh, thing, I would usually uh, be in, in front of an audience of children, and I'd start talking about these invisible beings that I have and how these invisible beings are uh, just amazing and miraculous, how you can throw them into there. And 
Uh, I, I tell a story of where I found them and how amazing they are. And uh, the first time that I put them in here, I put also some invisible dirt and I started packing it really well. I got my invisible pitcher of water and I start doing all of this stuff. And then I, I get my magical wand and, and I talk about how uh, the, the magic touch of this wand with these magical beans can create just some amazing things and you just touch it and suddenly, boom, there's a flower just like that. And all the kids go, oh, wow, it's so awesome. Kind of like what you're doing right now, just silently at your seat, I know. But we know that if you're going to grow a flower, this isn't even a real flower. Uh, there is no such thing as magical beans. There's no plant that's going to grow in just one second with the wave of a wand. That doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Something real and authentic also takes time. It's not something that happens instantly. It's not something that will uh, just happen by itself. It's something that will take time to come about. When it comes to your Christian life, when it comes to being genuine in your walk with God and your life as a Christian, you'll find that that genuineness will make you more durable in the Christian life. You'll find real value of who you are because you'll see who God says you are and who he made you to be. And you'll find that it takes time to grow. It takes time for God to work in our lives and slowly but surely through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we're slowly being transformed more into the image of Christ. We start to live this Christian walk to a point where it actually is affecting us and transforming us and suddenly it's more than just a religion, it's something authentic, it's something genuine. Now James is a favorite book for many uh, Christians today, it's a book that is full of genuineness, of practical living, practical Christianity lived out in the daily life. And uh, that's why we're going to be studying from verse number one, from the beginning all the way to the end of this book, we're going to be studying what uh, James had to teach those Christians that would be reading this letter, the, the, the truths of the practical Christian life. And so in the next few weeks, we'll be doing that. And, and I really can't think of a, of a better teacher to teach us about genuineness and real Christianity than James. See, James was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James was someone that had spiritual maturity in his life. He was someone that had experienced what it meant to be a, genu a genuine Christian, someone that was authentic. But you may ask this morning, what, what about James made him so genuine? But why is it that he was able to write a letter that is so rich in practicality and so authentic that almost 2,000 years later is still speaking to us? How, how is it and, and, and can still teach us? How is it that James was able to do that? What, what were the qualities in James' life that you can find here in the, the letter that he wrote that made him so authentic? Well, this morning, I want to share with you two characteristics of genuineness that, that James had in his life that you can just see just by reading that first verse. I want you to notice once again, let's read verse number one again. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, 
greeting. You know the first characteristics I find about the genuineness of James in verse number one is first of all that he had a proper view of himself. He had a proper view of himself. You see, he starts off writing James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't start out writing James pastor of the church at Jerusalem, though he could have. He didn't start out writing James, the half-brother of Jesus, though he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the son of Joseph, though Jesus was not the son of Joseph. James was the son of Joseph and Mary. In fact, it was probably the oldest son. They had at least five brothers, and, uh, and James was the oldest of those brothers. And he could have started this letter by saying that. He could have started the letter by saying, James, an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said that James was one of the first to see Jesus after he resurrected from the grave, and he could have identified himself that way, but he didn't. He simply says, James, the servant of God of the, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we see as he has a view of himself, it's a proper view because he saw himself as a slave. You see, the Greek word here that he uses is the word doulos, which means slave. Slave. It wasn't a hired servant. Sometimes the Bible talks about hired servants. Sometimes the Bible talks about uh, different kinds like house servants and, and other kinds of servants that the, the Greek word will We'll use a different word there. And this word, it's one of the most popular words that is used throughout the New Testament. And it always means slave. But it doesn't mean a slave like sometimes we think of it today. A slave, someone that was captured and forced into labor. No. See, the doulos of that day and age wasn't one that was hired, nor one that was captured. He wasn't one that was free but he wasn't one that was forcibly put into slavery. He was one that was willingly giving of himself to serve a master. That's what makes this word so important because it tells us a little bit of how James saw himself. He didn't say, see himself as this great man, this accomplished man, though he was. He looks at himself and he says, I'm just writing to you as a servant. As someone that has come under the leadership of God and under uh, the Holy Spirit. And I'm just here to serve. I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm not completely on my own. But I am one that has submitted and given myself to serve God with my life. He's just this servant. In fact, it's the same word that Paul used when he was describing Jesus Christ. In fact, you can look there in your notes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Here he's describing Jesus Christ. The mind that was in Jesus Christ of one was one of a servant of God. I'm here, he said, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. The word servant is one that just shows a proper view of who we are. You know, the life of a genuine Christian must always be mindful of who they are. Of what your true identity is. You know, we live in a world that's confused about their identity. 
And I'm not just talking about the issue right now at hand of can someone pick their gender or not. I think that one's self-explanatory. And if you're confused about it, just read Genesis chapter 1. It'll clarify and clarify that pretty quickly. But I'm talking about just who we are as people. We, we live in a world that's very confused about who they are. There are people that view themselves as the exception of the rules, and uh, you'll see that they're breaking laws, and they're always trying to get away with things. They're always scheming. They're lying. They're deceiving. They're stealing, and they just kind of view themselves as the people that can get away with it. We are kind of above the law. We are the exception to the rule. Then you find others that are completely rule followers, right? They, they never, uh, you know, they'll never do something any, anywhere near risky or dangerous. Or, I mean, if, if there's a law against it, they're not even going to think about uh, going against that. And, and they're just rule followers, and they would identify that way. Some identify themselves by what they have and don't have. Right? There, there are people that, that that's, that's where they get their worth. That's where they get their value. They, they kind of think, listen, I'm somebody because I'm successful. Because I make a lot of money. Because I have a really good job. And they, they find their identity in what they have and what they don't have. Uh, some identify themselves by what they know. They believe, well, I've got this degree and this degree. And I, I know more than you. I'm more important than you. I'm greater than you because of the knowledge that I have. And by the way, knowledge uh, can do that to people. In fact... Uh, the Apostle Paul said that knowledge can puff up a person, can make you prideful. You've got to be careful with that. Now, I'm not against having PhDs and degrees. I think you ought to. I think you ought to get as educated as you can. Jesus grew in his education as he was growing up. You can read in Luke 2.52, he talks about that. But what I'm talking about this morning is the identity. How do you identify yourself? How is it that you view yourself this morning? You see, in genuine Christianity, there is an identity that you find, and it's not in what you know or what you have, and it's not in what you've accomplished, and not in the success that you feel that you've attained, but it's an identity that you find in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, every identity outside of Christ is one that is lost, it's unfulfilling, it's unsatisfying, and it's empty. You've got to find your identity in Christ. This is why Paul in Galatians 2.20, you can look at it there in your notes. He wrote this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The apostle Paul was simply trying to say, listen, my identity is not in me, but it's in Christ. When I look at my life and when I think about who I am, I don't think about what I've done. I don't think about how great I am. I think about how great He is. I think about what Christ has done. You see, a, a genuine Christian walk, and if you're going to be genuine in your Christian life, you have to properly identify who you are. And the fact of the matter is that without Christ, we are nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Until you have the right identity of who you are, then it means nothing. You might be thinking, well, how does that work, Pastor? How does it work where, where you find this identity? Well, I love this illustration that uh, Pastor Tony Evans always uses. He said, when your favorite sports team wins, you always say, we won. Have you, have you noticed that? Right? It, it, whether it's a basketball tournament or the NBA playoffs or NFL, we, you know, 
If you're someone like me that's a Cowboys fan, whenever the Cowboys win, I'm like, yeah, we won. We won. We, we beat you. He says, we who? <laughs> you weren't on the field. You didn't get a tackle. I didn't make any interceptions. I didn't throw the ball once. I didn't get handed the ball, uh, the, the ball once to run for five yards, 10 yards, or any yards. I, I didn't do anything but sit in front of my television and watch a game. But if they won, hey, we won. In fact, we identify, and I identify so much with the Dallas Cowboys that sometimes I'll even call my friends, right? If the Cowboys beat the Falcons, I'll call my Falcon uh, uh, fan friends, and I'll be like, hey, did you see that? We beat you. We did. Beat your team. We are amazing. And my identities, they're wrapped with the Cowboys. I didn't do anything, but I identify with them, especially when they win. When they lose, that's another story, right? It's like, who team? what team is that? But we identify with them. When they win, we win. You know, the Bible says... There in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, that's what Paul is saying. You see, when Jesus died, the Bible says we died. When Jesus rose from the grave, we rose again to new life. It's, it's something of identifying with Jesus Christ that gives us who we are. It gives us a proper view of who we are this morning. We find that James, as a man that was just genuine, he identifies, first of all, as a servant. He says, this is who I am. But then he also saw himself as one that is dedicated to God's will. Dedicated to God's will. As I said already, uh, the word doulos is just one of many different Greek words that can be translated in the English language as servant. There's the word uh, diakonos, right, which means servant as well. But we get our word deacons from that from that word, all right? There is uh, the, the Greek uh, word pious, which means a child servant. There is the word uh, oiketis, which is a house servant. And you can go on and you can study, if you'd like, uh, all the different words that are used in Greek about that. But not only was the one that was calling himself doulos, one that had uh, made himself a servant, he wasn't free, he wasn't captured or made to become a servant. He was one that willingly gave himself. But he was also one that dedicated his life to serving that master. We see that James said, listen, I'm nothing more than a servant, but I'm the servant of God. I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just serve anything and anyone. I'm serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm, I'm serving one that is greater than me, one that I've dedicated my life to serving. You see, a genuine Christian is one that's looking to serve a greater master. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul said the same thing. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, verse 16, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He said, don't you understand that as a servant, who you're willing to serve shows really who your master is? So this morning, just a quick question comes to my mind. How genuine are you? I mean, what is the view of yourself in this 
this life that you call the Christian life? I mean, are you here this morning to check something off your list of the to-dos on a Sunday morning? Or are you here because you're saying, you see, I'm a servant. And this day is not my day, it's his day. And I, I want to be at his house because he's my master. I want to hear from his word. You see, he is my life. I'm nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. I'm just trying to identify as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm one that has given myself willingly, one that has dedicated my life to serving him. See, one that has made that decision will follow God's will above all things in every area of their life. It won't matter if God tells them to do something that's not convenient. It doesn't matter if God asks them to do something that's not popular. It doesn't matter if God asks them to do something that's not socially acceptable. All that matters to this person is, if God wants me to do it, I'm going to do it. If God wants me to go there, I'm going to go there. You see, it's something about just being authentic as a servant of God that says, I'm going to live for God. James writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a proper view of himself. And any authentic Christian, any genuine Christian that you'll ever meet in your life, you'll find this characteristic is that they have a proper view of themselves. They don't think too highly of themselves. They have a proper view. Let me give you a second characteristic about James that you find in the second half of that verse. That is that you find that he had a perpetual view of the needs of others. He says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. James, being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, had a heart for people. He wanted to see others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wanted to see others living for Jesus in their life. And we see that he had a heart for those that had been scattered abroad, those that were dispersed. Now, this is amazing to me. Because as the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, if you know a little bit about history and if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that persecution began to happen there in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, Stephen, a man that stood up for Jesus, a man that gave a great testimony of faith in God, was martyred. He was stoned to death just because of his faith. That happened in Jerusalem. They accused him of being a blasphemer. They accused him of all kinds of things. And, and we, we find that his last words were, Father, forgive them. And he gave up the ghost. Just as he had learned from his master on the cross, Stephen doing the same thing. There in Jerusalem, giving his life as a martyr. And you know who was there at the church pastoring? James. But suddenly the persecution goes just beyond Stephen and begins to get more. In fact, one of the people persecuting people in Jerusalem was Paul. At that time, his name was Saul, and he was one that didn't believe in God at that time. He was one that, uh, he was a very religious man. He was part of the Pharisees, and he was one that hated the name of Jesus, and one that hated the, re the, the, the religious following of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, and we find him persecuting. 
And it's amazing to me that James is here writing to those scattered abroad because those scattered abroad means those that have left the city. These are people that left his church. They didn't leave because they were called to the mission field and they didn't leave because their job was taking them somewhere else. They were leaving because there was persecution coming there to the church. I don't know about you, but when times get tough, Usually you want those friends to stick with you, don't you? You, you say the close friends and the people uh, that are really loyal to the cause are those that stand with me. And those that flee, cowards. Those that flee are disloyal. Those that flee, you think, how could they do that? I thought you had real faith. I thought you had a real walk. And James could have easily had that attitude. So, oh, will you leave my church? Leaving me to face this persecution? Fine, go. But that's not who James is. You see, genuine Christianity does not do that. It's not sitting here to judge everyone else. It's to have a heart for everyone else. Having a heart for those that have been scattered abroad. He could have said, yeah, there's some of us sticking it out here, saying, saying true to the cause of Christ. Everyone else, you bunch of wimps. But he doesn't say that. He could have said, all of you that left me back here in the city to fight my, my own fight, thanks a lot. But he didn't. James doesn't do that at all. James, he writes to those that have been scattered abroad, people that he loved, people that he probably led to the Lord, people that he had discipled, people that he had helped. He loved them. One of the characteristics that Jesus told his disciples would define them, John 3, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know, as Christians, our hearts ought to be loving towards others. We ought to be looking for ways to serve others and pray for others and share with others. And if we're not careful, we can easily forget others and make the Christian life all about us. And James easily could have been that kind of guy had he not had a genuine walk with God. Had he not been authentic in his life and in his walk. You see... The Christian life, if you're not careful, can get real selfish and self-focused. You can get all about your needs and your family and your wants and, and me, 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 me. And Paul says, listen, be careful about that. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul said this to the church at Philippi, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That was James. James said, listen, I'm a servant. I'm not bigger than you. I'm not better than you. I'm with you. You that are following Jesus Christ, I'm with you. And as servants, I want to talk to you that have been scattered abroad. Those that God has taken to other places. Those that by the will of God, he has placed you somewhere else. Just thinking about them and what they must have been going through. I'm sure James was like, Many pastors thinking, man, I hope they're doing okay. 
Oh, I, I hope they found a place that they can gather. I hope they're able to encourage one another and love one another. I, I hope there's someone there that they can pray with. I, I hope there's someone there that can share the word of God with them. I hope there's something that they can encourage one another with. Those that are abroad, I'm thinking about you. I love you. James, you can see, had a heart for those that were dispersed. But then you can see about James's characteristic on his view of the needs of others that he was going to serve with happiness. He had this happiness in serving. In fact, the word greeting there in the Greek is the word kairo, which means be cheerful and rejoice. You know, when and we celebrated Easter last week, you remember when, when the women got to the tomb and they're going to go back to tell the disciples that the tomb was empty? Matthew says that on their way back, going to the disciples, Jesus stopped them. You can see in Matthew 28, 9, it's there in your notes. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hell. Do you know what that is translated? It's the same word, greetings, in James chapter 1. Rejoice, be cheerful. One of the things that James wanted those that he was thinking about and loving those that had been scattered abroad, he said, I want you to be cheerful. I want you to rejoice. Genuine Christianity rejoices in others. It rejoices in their victories. It rejoices in the blessings that God gives them. It's something of cheer. We find that James was just that type of person in his walk. And I say that Christians, and I'm talking about genuine Christians, they ought to be joyful in serving and in meeting the needs of others. We've been given so much that I wonder sometimes, how can we be otherwise than just happy? You say, well, sometimes life is tar uh, hard, yes. I had a basketball coach that always used to say, life's tough, then you die. Yeah, that's probably true. But in those tough times of life, you can still find joy. You can still be cheerful in serving that master that you've given yourself to. You see, the, the characteristic of, of authentic Christianity is found in joyfulness. I, I find it hard to believe sometimes when you find these Christians that they're not joyful. You go, what in the world? What kind of Christian life are you living? I mean, listen, I love coming to church and singing. I don't sing very well. It don't, it don't matter. I still find a lot of joy in singing. There's a Redeemer or Behold Our God or even the songs we sang today. It's just so much joy in that that you just, you just wonder, what, what could you not sing? How could you not sing? it's a joy that's unspeakable, it's indescribable, it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's marvelous. I just don't understand how someone can be a Christian and not be joyful. Authentic Christianity has a mark of joy in their life. We see that James, he was a man that had a proper view of himself, but he was also a man that had a view on the needs of others. This morning, very simple challenge for us. 
You can either live a life that is genuine or one that is fake. One that is genuine will have a proper view of who you are and have a view on the needs of others. And one that is fake will not. So this morning, what I want to encourage you is, in this week, be genuine. Be authentic. Be real. There are going to be people this week that you're going to see that have needs. In fact, maybe there's someone that God's bringing to your mind right now. And maybe you can just buy a nothing but cake and just take it to them. Maybe you can just write a card and get in the directory of the church and just mail them a little postcard. And if you need the quarter, I'll, I'll back you up with a quarter. But just do it. Because maybe what they need is just an encouragement. Maybe they just need a hug. Maybe they just need to hear someone that says, Hey, I know you've been scattered abroad, but I'm still thinking about you. I still love you. And I want you to be cheerful and rejoicing because there's a lot to be happy about. Man, authentic Christianity, there's just nothing like it. Nothing. So this morning, I wonder, how authentic are we? Are we just a little magic trick that appears for one second and can disappear just as fast? Are we something that's real? I pray that we can follow the example of James. Let's just be authentic this week. Let's be genuine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you for the example of James. Father, what, what a man that he was. A man that loved you. A man that in his walk with you, he was genuine. Oh, Father, as I think of his early life, one that didn't have any belief in you, and though he was raised in the same household and saw the same miracles and heard the same words, yet it wasn't until later, Father, that he believed. But wow, as he believed how things changed, how he became real in his life. Father, that's what we need. That's what we want this morning. And Father, I pray that we would find that in you. I pray if there be anyone here this morning or anyone that's watching through the live stream that has yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They don't have a genuine walk because they've never had a, a moment in their life where they asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to be their Savior. Oh, I pray that this day would be that day. For those that have made that decision already, I pray, Father, that we would just live it out and be real. We'd be authentic this week. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Where you lead us, I pray that we would go. Work in our hearts even this morning. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen.